Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. A new way to play fantasy. Today's episode is brought to you by Flex Fantasy, and they want me to relay a message to you that they have cracked open the game of fantasy football to all. When you sign up for a free account and download the Flex Fantasy app, you can import all your teams from all your leagues across multiple platforms that you play on. Spice up your fantasy playing experience by challenging league mates or strangers off the street to a fantasy matchup no matter how or where they play. And put your money where your mouth is by placing a wager on your head-to-head matchup. It doesn't matter if you are on Yahoo and your opponent is on Sleeper. You can import your teams to Flex Fantasy to face off. You can even make wagers on who you think will win between other challenges besides your own. So sign up for a free account and download the app to try it out at flex.fan. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome into the show, and thank you for tuning in to the MD's Fantasy Football Show live on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe for all of our content available. You can always check us out live also on bellyup.tv. You can download the Foxy Network app on your favorite TV device, such as Roku, LG, Samsung, and many other places to catch us on demand, or just stay up to date with the show when you're on the go by downloading us on your favorite podcast app. And please give us a five-star review. It greatly helps me out. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. It's Sunday fun day. It's time to recap week two, figure out what we've learned, what we need to apply moving forward, and continue to get better as we are full swing into football season, baby. So today we got, of course, our thumpers and bummers of the week, or at least the Thursday night and Sunday afternoon games is what this show covers to begin with. And then we have our extra credit game notes for each game as we go through and give us little tidbits on what to expect and how to play these guys and what to do moving forward. So let's go ahead and just dive Right in to our quarterback thumpers of the week. Quarterback thumpers. This is Sparta! All right, so first up, we'll start from our number three quarterback thumper. Remember when we used to do like the top three, the bottom three, and kind of go from there. We'll start with our top three, and that was number three, Carson Wentz. 30 of 46, 337 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. He's going to be one of my right calls of the week, too. I had him as a top 12 quarterback, a stream that I wanted you guys to play. A lot of people asked me a lot of questions about 
you know, should I play him over Tom Brady? Should I play him over Aaron Rodgers? My answer to that was yes. Clearly, Washington, at least for now, has become a pass-first team. Now, part of that could be two games in a row, second, first half of the games. Offense really wasn't looking great, and they'd have to put the gas down on the floor come the second half. And they're not going to play Jacksonville and Detroit every single week. I recognize that as well. But for right now, they have the weapons and the passing volume where Carson Wentz is starting to creep up. Instead of being that mid-level QB2, I think you can look at him rest of season as a high-end QB2 that you will be able to stream in matchup-dependent situations. He's not going to crack that top 12. He's still Carson Wentz. You're still going to have those befuddling games. And again, you're not going to play Jacksonville and Detroit every single week. Their schedule will get a little bit harder as we move forward. But right now, you have to like what's available to him and what's available with this Washington offense to know that he's got some real fantasy value moving forward, especially as a streaming option. My number two thumper of the week at the quarterback position, Tua Tagalovoa. Absolutely insane. And I'll get into why he's not my number one overall. But he had the game of his life. Just to quote the phrase that everybody was talking about on Sunday. 469 yards, six touchdowns. Did have the two picks, but it didn't matter when you have six touchdowns in that game. 36 of 50. What was crazy about this, and this is why ultimately he's my number two, because I don't know how trustworthy this is just yet. And we're going to talk about that game, especially when we go into the game notes in a little bit more detail. But the reason why is because Miami offense really was not doing much for the first three quarters of the game. They put up 28 points in the fourth quarter. Some of it had to do with busted coverage. Whatever it takes still deserves credit. The offense is fast. What they made clear in that game was that they have the weapons that it doesn't matter what the score is. They can come back in a blink of an eye at any moment because of the speed on the offensive side of the ball. Tua had a good game, not a great game in week one, but really lit it up here. And it shows you that sometimes with his weapons, you can go. But this wasn't a game that I was necessarily picking out. Like Baltimore's Ravens defense should be better. And we'll talk about that a little bit more too. I think it's going to be hard to know exactly when to play Tua. This was not a normal game script for these guys. And I go back to it. Jimmy Garoppolo had a lot of games where he would go off and he would be a top 10 guy. And we'd be talking about him in fantasy football purposes. But ultimately, it averages itself out where you're a good enough quarterback to get the ball to the guys we need you to for fantasy football purposes. But you're not a good enough quarterback to actually be a top 10 fantasy quarterback option every single week. And I'm still there. But this was a huge game and certainly puts him back on the fantasy radar. My number one thumper of the week, Lamar Jackson. So he is number one guy because it's 119 yards on the ground and a rushing touchdown off of a 75-yard great rush and then also tacked on over 300 yards, three touchdowns, didn't have any interception in this game, was efficient, 21 of 29. Lamar Jackson looked a lot better this week than he did against the Jets. Although, like I said, with that game last week, they just didn't have to do too much to win that game. And I think that largely had a, had a big part to do with it. But Lamar was fantastic this week. He got the ball to the guys we wanted him to. This is supposed to be, there's another situation where the, this is supposed to be a pretty good Miami defense. Neither defense showed up in this game, especially in the fourth quarter. But 
They're supposed to be a pretty good Miami defense. And the Ravens, unlike the Dolphins, they were good for all four quarters throughout the game. They, they didn't come in a surge at the end in a crazy fashion. They were good throughout the game. So Lamar Jackson, I had my number two quarterback for the entire season. Looking like he's getting back on track with that and a great performance out of him. 300 yards passing and 100 yards on the ground. Very rare when you can get a quarterback to do that. Let's talk about our quarterback bummers. Quarterback bummers. My number three bummer of the week, even though he got the win in his game, that was Tom Brady. Shouldn't be really surprised. 18 of 34, 190 yards, a touchdown. I had him outside my top 12 to begin with. Mike Evans gets thrown out of this game, and it looks like it's going to cost him possibly another game, too, with a possible suspension coming up. Julio Jones was out. Chris Godwin was out. Russell Gage just looks like what I thought he was coming into the season, just a guy. There's not a lot of weapons for him to go to. And the good thing was, on the Saints side, there, for him at least, there wasn't a ton of offense. So again, like they did against Dallas, they didn't have to put the pedal to the metal. Tom Brady didn't have to throw it plus 40 times. So now you have two games in a row where he's below 35 pass attempts. I don't think that's going to be what it is all season long. But the Tom Brady of last year is probably off the table. He can still be a top 12 quarterback and still will be on a pretty consistent basis for me. But it is going to be dependent upon who's healthy and who are they playing that week. So we do have to consider those things a little bit more. My number two bummer of the week. And really, I could have made a case for him to be my number one guy because he has much more expectations. But Russell Wilson, 14 of 31, 219 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Second week in a row, the Denver Broncos against an inferior opponent can only put up 16 points. We're going to talk about this in the second half of the show, too, in the extra game, extra credit game notes of the week. But man, oh, man. We're panicking a little bit on Russell Wilson because how could you not two weeks in a row of subpar performances? I'm not going to blame if you keep asking yourself, can I keep playing you as a top 10 fantasy quarterback? But we'll get into that a little bit more later. Other bummer, Matt Ryan. So Matt Ryan's a bummer because this is a guy who's being considered as a decent streaming option. If you didn't have Dak, he was going up against Houston. Now, when he lost Michael Pittman, that knocked him down a little bit for me. So he was outside of my top 12 before we headed into the week. And always stay up to date with my rankings at bellyoffantasysports.com as a result. Because they get updated all the way through Sunday because things change. But when Michael Pittman went out, I mean, did they not bother to put in a secondary game plan? It's not like we didn't know Pittman was injured. He was injured all week long. But it looked like Frank Reich and the Colts had no idea what they wanted to do once that, once that became the case. Jonathan Taylor only had nine carries in this game. It wasn't like this game was ever that well out of hand. Now, the final score wound up being 24 to nothing, but doesn't mean you can't run the ball with your best weapon, Jonathan Taylor. And Matt Ryan was awful. 195 yards, three interceptions. I'm not ready to buy to the Jacksonville Jaguars up-and-coming young secondary as something I actually need to worry about when they play competent teams. But Ryan did his best to make it look like that could actually be the case. And what a terrible game he had and what a lot of people were banking on as a streaming option for this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's talk about our running back thumpers of the week. Running back thumpers. This is Sparta! Number three thumper. A lot of people seem to be kind of concerned about the usage, and we'll talk about that a little bit more and why there is, but... 
Hey, Austin Eckler, especially in half-point, full-point PPR leagues, he got the nine catches, 55 yards, almost 100 yards from scrimmage overall. Yes, he doesn't score, but this is what you drafted Austin Eckler to do. You didn't draft him to be the, the touchdown guy. I We knew that was going to regress from last season. What you drafted him to be was a great involvement in the passing game who's going to get you 100 yards from scrimmage almost every single week with the extra points that come from the receptions that he should be involved with. He got back on track in that department that needs to stay the same for the Chargers and probably should be if Justin Herbert is going to be that banged up. They're going to need to get the ball out of his hands faster. Austin Eckler should be that guy. Tony Pollard is our number two thumper of the week. So Dallas did lean on their running backs, at least from a usage standpoint, a bit more now with Cooper Rush. And while Tony Pollard still didn't touch the ball or play quite as much as Ezekiel Elliott, he shows why he's a very explosive player. He just needs a few touches in the right situation to make it happen. He had a really nice day in this one, both being involved in the rush game and the receiving game. We'll talk about that game a little bit more later, but Tony Pollard coming through. Unfortunately, though, I don't know how many people definitely played Tony Pollard heading into this game. I know he was outside the top 36 for me as a borderline flex play if need be, but not necessarily somebody who I was looking to you know, target and put out in my lineups. I think a lot of people are in the same light after what they saw in week one. So hopefully if you had, if you had the cojones to play them, you came out big on there. And our number one thumper of the Thursday night and Sunday afternoon games, Nick Chubb. Three touchdowns, two weeks in a row now. He is absolutely lit it up as an RB1 and will consider will continue to be the focal point of the offense alongside of Kareem Hunt as long as Jacoby Brissett is a starting quarterback at bare minimum. And even when Wasik gets back, look, Stefanski has built this team to be a run-first team. At worst, it's maybe a run-balance team or a balanced team when Deshaun Watson comes back, especially when he first gets back there. I don't think this team is going to just come in and just light up in the passing game or be a heavy-volume passing game as a result to that. Keep it going. The offensive line doing a much better job blocking than it did last year. Seems to be going really well. Nick Chubb well on his way to being an RB1 again this season. Let's get into our running back bummers, though. For Running back bummers. So our number three bummer, it was a complete dud, but wasn't what I was hoping for. Cordero Patterson here, only 10 carries and 41 yards. I don't mind that, and we'll talk about more about that later. People seem to be kind of losing their minds on that. Cordero Patterson getting 10 to 12 carries is what you should expect. What I don't expect is in a game in which you're having to come back from behind and trail in, I don't expect him to only get one target. That's what the bummer thing was. He didn't get involved in the passing game. And in fact, that one target bounced off his hands and wound up being an interception. So <laughs> really not great there. I'm not worried about Patterson long-term as far as what his role is. You need to have the proper expectations, though. But definitely a bummer in a week in which I thought he would definitely be involved in the passing game against the Rams. My number two bummer of the week, Rex Burkhead. Not that I had high hopes for this guy, but he was in my top 36 of running backs. I thought. I thought Houston would be trailing by double-digit scores for the majority of the game, and that even if Lovey Smith got his way and utilized Damian Pierce more, which they did, they would still have to ultimately turn to Rex Burkhead in the passing game and use him in checkdown situations. And while Burkhead was more involved than Pierce in the, in the past game, didn't really say much because, again, only three targets, two receptions, and 19 yards in a game that wound up being a little bit more neutral game script than I was anticipating. So... 
Rex Burkhead here winds up coming out to be a bummer. I got a lot of guy people picked up, possibly played in the flex, possibly filled in. And it didn't really pan out this way as they flip the script and go back to Damian Pierce. But ultimately, the game script was the most surprising thing. We'll talk about that later. Rashad Penny, six carries, 15 yards. Our number one bummer of the week. Travis Homer got involved. We knew Kenneth Walker was coming back, but ultimately thought this would be a two-man committee. Homer was very much involved in this game and something we're going to have to watch out for. I thought for sure Rashad Penny, Ken Walker would just, they would, it wouldn't be a situational thing. It would just be a, a series by series Rashad Penny leading the way, maybe every two series to Kenneth Walker's one with his first game back his first debut really in the NFL and that they would just receive those roles because Travis Homer is just the guy. DJ Dallas is just the guy. I don't know why they keep having these roles every so often because they they don't ever do anything with them when they're put in those situations, and they didn't this time around. But it looks like we might have to worry about Travis Homer or DJ Dallas getting involved in the passing game over Rashad Penny or Kenneth Walker. And if Kenneth Walker now back, Rashad Penny's value could potentially fall out from under him. That's potentially what we're looking at here. So big bummer this week and a kind of a bummer moving forward, which is why he's the number one bummer of the week. Let's get into our wide receiver thumpers, though. Wide receiver thumpers. This is Sparta! How about Amon Ross St. Brown, baby? Two touchdowns, over 100 yards, 12 targets, nine receptions, just continuing to lead the way. And what a stud he looks like, man. Jared Goff loves him. You can't stop him because they line him up all over the field and dominates in the slot. He's a bigger bodied slot, so most nickel corners can't really hang with him. There's a lot to love about Amon Ross St. Brown. He's a must play every single week. Our top two thumpers are on the same team, so I'm just going to lump them together. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And what was the most insane entertaining fourth quarter. I would, you could say game two, but especially the fourth quarter where it was just big play after big play after big play. And for both of these guys come away with 11 receptions Hill for 190 yards, Waddle for 171 yards, and both coming away with two touchdowns thumpers of the week. The dolphin, I, we got to come up with a nickname for them because the speedsters are out and about. They really hammered it home against the Baltimore Ravens there in this game. We'll talk about that more later. Let's get into our bummers at the wide receiver position. Wide receiver bummers. Our number three bummer, Russell Gage. It, it, he didn't like totally goose you out or anything like that. Six targets, five receptions, 28 yards. Not a good stat line, obviously. But the biggest reason he's a bummer, he had no Julio Jones. Mike Evans gets thrown out early in the game for fighting with Lattimore. So they're, they're calling on guys like Scotty Miller and Brashad Perryman. Russell Gage, the, the talk was you were supposed to be the guy in the slot receiver position. We weren't sure when God was going to get back. Tom Brady specifically wanted you as a slot receiver. Marshawn, La Marshawn Lattimore got knocked out of this game anyway. But as a slot receiver, you didn't have the tougher matchup on the perimeter against the Saints like most receivers would have. The offense wasn't doing much. And yet, Russell Gage is proving he's just a guy. He might have a decent game here or there, but he's just a guy. And he couldn't take advantage of a situation where he should have been the focal point. And even then, he still wasn't the focal point. Rashad Perriman was from a snaps and a routes running bases. So Russell Gage, a bummer now, a bummer for down the road too. 
our number two bummer of the week, and he makes our bummer list two weeks in a row now. DK Metcalf, six targets, four catches, 35 yards. It wound up being a Tyler Lockett type of game. Unfortunately, because DK Metcalf, it only takes one play with him. You're always going to want to play him at least as a flex play. You're going to want to play him as your wide receiver three, bare minimum. But he is not a must-star for me, even in three receiver or flex option leagues. It's just not a must-start. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, team ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. You don't know when the production is going to come, unfortunately, with the Seattle Seahawks team and Geno Smith as a starting quarterback. There will be some Lockett games. There will be some DK Metcalf games. There will also be a lot of games where neither one does anything, and that's the problem. Does it only take one play with Metcalf? Absolutely. But another game in which he's only getting 34, 35 yards, despite being out there for the entire game. Our number one bummer of the week, Juju Smith-Schuster. Got everybody really excited after week one, looking like the number one receiver next to Travis Kelsey. Yes, he had the tougher matchup against Bryce Callahan in the slot for the Chargers secondary, but three targets, three catches, 10 yards for a game in which, remember, the Chiefs were the ones trailing the majority of that game until the end. Not exactly what you want to see. Doesn't give you the confidence. Holds him out of being a wide receiver two range moving forward into week three. Let's talk about our thumpers at tight end. Tight end thumpers. This is Sparta! And Mark Andrews back in the conversation. Disappointment last week, but this week, 11 targets, 9 catches, 104 yards, and a touchdown. Looking very much like the Mark Andrews we all know and love. And now you're okay. I did this in reverse order, but I needed to get the Andrews thing out. Our number two thumper of the week at the tight end position, Darren Waller. Eight catches, six, I'm sorry. Eight targets, six catches, 50 yards, a touchdown. He's been very, very good two weeks in a row. Not great, obviously. And this week, he gets a little bit boosted up by the touchdown. But last week, four receptions, 79 yards. What has been proven to be true is that there is enough work, whether Adams gets 17 targets or only gets six like he did in this game. There's enough work for Darren Waller to be consistent within this offense and find mismatches. Darren Waller very much going to be the top five tight end that we all wanted him to be, but we're getting a little shaky about because we weren't sure what the hamstring issue what was going on. Definitely seems like it was just contract relevant, and now that he's paid and a focal point of this offense, he's going to be a consistent guy as a top five tight end. And Zach Ertz, our number three thumper of the week. Welcome back, Zach Ertz. Clearly healthy. That was the number one thing. And as long as Rondale Moore continues to miss and DeAndre Hopkins is suspended, he is the second go-to passing option. In this game, he was number one, had 11 targets, 
eight receptions, 75 yards. It's going to be hard to find tight ends who have a safer floor, again, until those other guys get back, and then we will have to reassess. But for right now, Zach Ertz, our number three thumper of the week at the tight end position for today's show. Let's cap this thing off, though, with the tight end bummers. Tight end bummers. Number three bummer, although I made this right call again, David Njoku, five targets, three catches, 32 yards. Once again, outworked, out-targeted by Harrison Bryant. David Njoku is in a two-way tight end committee on an offense that features Jacoby Brissett as a starting quarterback. I think we're safe to say at this point, we can go ahead and hit this drop. Prepare to be flushed. Time to move on from David Njoku. We have TJ Hawkinson also making the bummer list. The targets were okay. He had seven targets, but three catches, 26 yards. Yes, this game was greatly dominated by Amon Ross St. Brown for Detroit, but that's two games in a row in which you drafted a top eight tight end that he just really has not been able to perform. He'll continue to be a mid to low end tight end one for me moving forward. Again, the usage was still there, but you want to see some production. And our number one bummer, you want to talk about seeing some production. Kyle Pitts, where are you? Two weeks in a row, 19 yards, three targets, two receptions. Yes, Drake London is there, but even when Calvin really was there for the first four weeks, Pitts was still getting featured. Now, you have a different type of quarterback, and you have a different type of offense. As a result to that, there's not as much passing volume, and Atlanta's been able to stay competitive two weeks in a row. But they need to find a way to get the ball in the Kyle Pitts' hand. He's too good of a talent. I love Drake London, but Kyle Pitts is too good of a talent to consistently leave out of the offensive game plan. I do think that changes at some point, so don't panic. But once again, Kyle Pitts coming in as a huge bummer for me at the tight end position for the week. That wraps up the thumpers and bummers for the Thursday night football and Sunday afternoon matchups. What I want you guys now to do is stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. We come back on the other side. We got the extra credit game notes for all of those games. We really get to learn. Here's the lessons we learned this week. This is what we have to apply moving forward. So everybody stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be back right after this. Football is back, baby. And our new sponsor, True Classic, wants you to look and feel your best even after a couple of brewskis or going full force on your fantasy football draft. Sure, it's football season, but it's also butt-to-couch season. Luckily, True Classic has the absolute best-fitting clothing a man can buy. Snug in the arms and chest with a little extra space in the torso, their t-shirts are designed to keep you cozy and highlight your best assets no matter what you're up to. So if your special someone is upset that you're watching football all day, at least you can look good doing it. True Classic has already helped over 2 million men find the perfect fit at an affordable price. Our listeners get access to the best deal they offer. For a limited time only, get 25% off with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at trueclassic.com. Almost all men's t-shirts are designed to look good on skinny models with six packs, but most of us aren't packing anything but a few beers. Fellas, you are wearing the wrong clothes. True Classic tees taper off towards the bottom, but they fit tighter around the chest and shoulders. 
It's time to highlight your best attributes with a t-shirt you can always confidently throw on. It's about time to get your fit together, so upgrade your wardrobe with True Classic and get 25% off at trueclassic.com with promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Free shipping included on purchases over $100. That's 25% off at trueclassic.com with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. If there's one bet you should make this football season, it's on True Classic. True Classic, look good, feel good. is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Oh yeah, welcome back in to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on this Sunday, Sunday recap of week two. Make sure you check us out live on our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can also check us out live on BillyUp.TV. If you download the Foxy Network app on your Roku, LG, Samsung, or other TV devices, you can catch us on demand under the Belly Up Sports TV category. And then just stay up to date with the show on the go on your favorite podcast app and give us a five-star review. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Now it's time for our extra credit game notes of the week where we highlight the things that you really need to know the most coming out of the matchups for your fantasy football lineups moving forward so let's go ahead and hit the drop to get into the extra game credit notes of the week i know i know i know what do we know what do we know from the thursday night game well i guess we should probably lead off with the fact that the chiefs on even though they didn't have a great offensive night, we're still able to come away with a win 27 to 24 we should also start off with the fact that herbert on the other side for the chargers Injury cartilage going to be day to day. We will keep you up to date on social media at MDFF show when you need to know more. The good news is that it's day to day. The good news is that nothing came across as being broken, but it is going to be a pain factor as far as what he can and cannot do and likely will be questionable throughout the week. So you probably will have to have at least a backup plan. It's not a given. He had the extra time off with the Thursday night game that he will miss next week. He does have a chance to play, but again, it will come down to a pain tolerance issue thing and his overall safety there. Can they keep him feeling good enough throughout the week? So that will be what we have to look into as far as that goes. Uh, Staying with the Chargers side, as long as Keenan Allen misses, Josh Palmer is a wide receiver three. So yeah, I got bailed out by a touchdown from Josh Palmer like everybody else did who played him because there was quite a few questions. I, I had a ton of questions Thursday night about, do I play Palmer or this guy? Palmer or this guy? And for the most part, I was telling people to play Palmer because I thought he had more some more upside. He came in at wide receiver 26 for me heading into the week, so I had him as a high-end wide receiver three to begin with. The usage was there. The routes run were there. He played well ahead of DeAndre Carter. But it just didn't, something just looked kind of a little bit out of sync between Palmer and Justin Herbert at times during the game. But he does get the touchdown at the end. He does get the playing time that you want. So as long as Keenan Allen is out, and I should preference by also saying as long as Justin Herbert's playing, I'm going to trust to play Josh Palmer as a wide receiver three. Now, hopefully Allen's back because the talk on him was that the injury was minor. Something we'll also have to keep you guys up to date on throughout the week. And Austin Eckler, we kind of alluded to it a little bit when we had our Thumpers and Bummers uh, segments in the first half of today's show. 
Eckler making the thumpers list because he got more involved in the passing game. Nine receptions here. He had 10 targets in the game. Gets 55 yards through the air, 39 yards on the ground. No, he doesn't score, but this is what you got Austin Eckler to do, especially in half-point, full-point PPR leagues. This is what a floor game is supposed to look like for an Austin Eckler, and I was glad that his passing game usage finally got put back into effect after what was weird in week one. Is he the goal line back? Is he the short yardage back? No. But this is also why I did not have Austin Eckler as my number two running back overall and why I had him at eight. So if you're part of Empty Nation and you listen to me at all, then you didn't draft Austin Eckler to be a top five guy. You didn't draft him with that expectation. You drafted him to be an RB1 with a very safe floor because of what he gives you in the past game. And of course, can finish inside the top three any given week on top of it. But it looks like Kelly, Sony, Michelle, they'll continue to get the short yards work. They'll continue to get some early down work. And most importantly, they're going to continue the goal line work. So touchdowns are not going to be readily available for Austin Eckler unless the Chargers decide to change something. And I don't think it's going to happen the first half of the season. I think this is all part of a plan to make sure Eckler's as fresh as he can possibly be towards the end of the year. On the Chiefs side of the ball, yeah, wasn't the best game out of Mahomes. Ultimately, I'm not worried about it. This is a good Chargers defense, especially when they're healthy. But we do have to take a note here on Juju Smith-Schuster. So, yeah, he drew the tougher matchup. Again, we talked about that a little bit in the last segment against Bryce Callahan. But you still want to see him get more involved. He only had three targets in this game. Marcus Valdez-Scantling had seven. The whole idea about Schuster is that he's the number one guy. They're moving him all around. That didn't happen. If he can't be productive because he has a tough matchup in the slot, well, then he's going to be very hit or miss. So watching his Wide receiver cornerback matchups is going to be key moving forward. I still think ultimately, as long as he's healthy, he's still the second pass catcher next to Travis Kelsey. That doesn't change for me, but I do think it will be not too long now before we see Sky Moore. Will it maybe take an injury to Schuster for him to get the opportunity to solidify himself? Most likely because Sky Moore, unfortunately for his sake, as far as moving up the timeline of when he'll be a great asset, is hindered by the fact that he's kind of redundant to Schuster, where he's most effective if you move him all around, but predominantly out of the slot. So it might take an injury to Schuster. However, we know that Schuster can have some really bad games, even when he's healthy and out there too. So something to keep an eye on. I'm not moving on from Sky Moore. That's my long-winded way of saying that. I didn't draft him to be an asset for me in the first half of the season. You did it for the second half of the year when Schuster either inevitably gets banged up or it's just not effective anymore because Marquez Valdez-Scaling and Mikal Harmon stink. They have their roles of the outside stretch guys. They're never going to be the featured part of this weapon, of the featured weapons of this offense. It's never going to happen. It's going to be Kelsey, and it's either going to be Juju for now, Sky Moore, I think, by the second half of the year. So just kind of keep that in mind. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was solid again for two weeks in a row, and I'm not moving off my stance that you need to sell him high while you have the opportunity. Ultimately here, only had 12 opportunities for the game. Two less snaps than Jarek McKinnon. Ran the same amount of routes. And in this game, McKinnon's the one who actually got the receiving touchdown. That matters here. He was a very efficient in the passing game, Clyde Lair, that is. Four catches on four targets for 44 yards. And his efficiency number looks good in the box score on the ground. But keep in mind, he had a 52-yarder. So really, this guy had seven carries for about 22 yards. Otherwise, outside of that, again, effective, but not getting the type of volume that's going to keep him consistent. He stays in RB3 for me, but you might be able to sell him 
as an RB2 based on these two performances. I would do that if you can. And that is like, I don't know, that is my last note. I wasn't sure if I had more notes on that. That's my last note for the Chiefs in this game. So let's move on. Move from the Thursday night games to the craziest and best game of week two, the Dolphins and the Baltimore Ravens. So, of course, we had Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. They were, they were our wide receiver thumpers with, with, without question. I just want to keep pointing out before everybody thinks the Dolphins are about to become the next offensive juggernaut. They had a good game against the Patriots. I think that's more in line with what we're going to see more times than not. This game, they had 14 points going into that fourth quarter. They really had not done much up until that point. And then just had a crazy, crazy breakout in the fourth quarter, putting up four touchdowns. And a lot of that had to do with Tyree Kill had over 100 yards and a touchdown in that fourth quarter alone on two plays where I inexplicably could not understand why the Ravens safeties were not playing back on Tyree Kill. They were moving up towards the line of scrimmage. Blew my mind. He gets wide open down the field. Two big plays. Tyree Kill, 100 yards and a touchdown just in the fourth quarter alone. You can't play up as a safety. That that was a blunder. It's not something I think a lot of people are going to make a mistake of, but it does show you the speed and how dangerous the offensive weapons for Miami can be when given the right situation. Crazy game, a lot of fun here. I think we all understand that, you know, both Hill and Waddle getting 11 catches apiece and going for almost 200 yards, two touchdowns, not something that happened every single week, but it does make you feel good moving forward, especially Hill now, two weeks in a row, Wide receiver one performances, not looking like he's slowing down at all, going from Mahomes to Tua Tagalavoa. Who is the other note that we have to talk about in here? So this game obviously puts Tua back on the waiver wire streaming quarterback map. I made this analogy earlier. He's still Jimmy Garoppolo to me, where you're gonna have these, you're gonna have some big games because the offensive weapons just do really, really well. But for the most part, you're there to get the ball to them. You're not going to put up big, gaudy fantasy names on a consistent basis. We have one game where he was QB 22 and another game where we haven't finished out all the games yet, but he looks like he's at least going to be QB two because Lamar Jackson on the other side of the ball outdid him with the rushing production that he was able to give you. But this definitely puts him back on the map and it shows you, hey, this is what happens if defenses play certain ways. If he gets the ball in the breakout hands of a Tyreek Hill and a Jalen Waddle with their speed, he can just get those fantasy points too. So interesting to move forward. We'll have to see again. We need more data on this. But if you believed in Tua, if you wanted him to be a streaming quarterback, this game is definitely a check mark in your map. But I'm not ready to make him a high-end QB2, low-end QB1 moving forward just yet. But great game for him. The other interesting note was the running backs. So Moster actually played ahead of Chase Edmonds in this game. And I was looking, I was trying to see like, was there an injury to Chase Edmonds? I don't think this is something that's normally going to happen. Mostert was good, but Edmonds was just as efficient too. It wasn't like Edmonds was being inefficient or banged up in this game for the most part of what I could see. Mostert's going to be involved. I do think this is always supposed to be a 1A, 1B situation leaning towards Chase Edmonds because he's always going to be more involved in the passing game. And he, he still was in this one, three targets. Uh, Mostert was targeted three times as well. But played in more of the two-minute drill situations, fourth quarter, things of that nature. That's normally speaking why Edmonds is going to get the edge. Moser just had a solid game and solid usage in this one. I think what this does do, it confirms that Edmonds is really a high-floor RB3 play 
And you want to, you do want to see him get some better matchups. Not every week is going to be the New England Patriots, the Baltimore Ravens, who do have good run defenses. But it also means there's going to be a ceiling because he's not just going to run away with the job. Raheem Moser is going to get mixed in here. and He's quickly becoming an RB4 who you can say has big play potential to potentially be a flex guy, even when Edmonds is out there and healthy, depending upon the matchup. But I'm not worried about this as far as, oh, if you draft to Chase Edmonds, is Mostert now going to be the lead guy? No. The discrepancy in what they paid them to be, Edmonds will still probably be the lead guy more than not. But there will be games that I do believe if Mostert gets hot, Mike McDaniel could do a, you know, pull his mentor's role, a Shanahan, and stick with the hot hand. So that is a potential possibility, which is why Edmonds is nothing more than an RB3 for most weeks moving forward, unless there becomes an injured Raheem Mostert, and then we'll have to see how that is all able to break out. Let's get on the Baltimore Ravens side of things. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. So first thing, obviously, Lamar Jackson, as of right now, because we haven't seen the Monday night games, QB1 overall. Over 100 yards on the ground, over 300 yards through the air, four total touchdowns to boot. Lamar Jackson is a cheat code when he's putting together games like this. And like I said, with the Ravens, I actually, while the Ravens lost this game, and Dolphins were definitely impressive, I actually like what I saw the Ravens as a whole because they did for all four quarters, and they're just coming to flurry towards the end where he has some luck involved. This is what I expect the Ravens offense to look like. I'm not saying I expect 400 total yards out of Lamar Jackson and four touchdowns every single week, but this is what he can do. This is why he was my number two quarterback coming into the season, and you like the production there. And then you tap it off with Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman. Both go over 100 yards. Both get a touchdown. Bateman got another big play in this one, another 75-yard touchdown in this game. It's not really what I drafted him to be. It's not really what I expected him to be when I ranked him as a guy that I thought could be a borderline wide receiver two, definitely high in wide receiver three coming into the year. I thought it'd be volume-based. And he got seven targets in this game, and he led the way. Duvernay did get a little bit banged up, so that could have something to do with it. Although, the Ravens do go three tight end sets pretty often again now. Rashad Bateman's the one guy out there. So, of, of the Ravens wide receivers, from a usage standpoint, Bateman's the only guy I'm interested in. I don't like that. I feel like the last two weeks, his fantasy value has been tied to big plays. But because of the way the Ravens run this offense, they're going to be there. And if nothing else, he's showing you that not only is he a good receiver, a good route runner, but he can hit the big play as well. So it definitely is not a bad thing. 
I would like to see him get a little bit more dominantly involved in front of some of the other pass catchers. And that started to show out in this game. Mark Andrews is always going to be Mark Andrews. As far as the backfield goes, just a quick note, you avoid all running backs of the Ravens until Dobbins and or Gus Edwards returns because they all stink, plain and simple. Let's move on here to the Carolina Giants game. Um, my first note is Baker Mayfield stinks. That's my first note. And it goes into my second note of I'm worried about DJ Moore. And they go hand in hand. So Baker, you stink. As a result, the passing efficiency and volume goes down for Carolina. Now, that's not something new for DJ Moore. He's dealt with that before. But when you're only for the second week in a row getting six targets, seven targets, and Robbie Anderson is right there neck and neck with overall volume. Now, Anderson didn't have the big play this game, so he comes back down to reality. It does make you concerned because while Moore got a touchdown and it saved his fantasy value, this is one of the easier matchups he's going to get on paper. And if Baker Mayfield can only complete about 50% of his balls or even less, and DJ Moore is not going to be guaranteed double-digit targets head and shoulders above everybody else like he was last season and has been for most of his career, now we start to worry. If the volume's not there, we start to worry because, frankly, this offense, this quarterback, is not good enough for DJ Moore to consistently be efficient enough on less targets than he was last season to be the fantasy asset that you drafted him to be. So this is something I am getting concerned about. If this continues... You might have to wait for a bigger, might have to wait for a big game at DJ Moore, or maybe he gets a, a big play or a touchdown or two and look to sell off of him because I don't know if he can give you the mid level wide receiver two value or higher if he's not going to start to get those targets pretty soon. My third and last note for them is that CMC is fine. I, I think two weeks in a row, it feels like some people are kind of disappointed by Christian McCaffrey. Week one, I can understand he got the touchdown that bailed everybody out. You didn't really love the usage. But week two, look, he didn't get in the end zone, but 15 carries for 102 yards showed that he can break big ones still with the 49-yarder, so he still has explosive ability. Tacked on five targets, four catches, 26 yards. Yes, he didn't get in the end zone. I don't know how much more than that you really want out of Christian McCaffrey and need out of Christian McCaffrey. Right now, that is an RB1 type of performance, so I'm not worried at all about Christian McCaffrey. On the flip side, we go to the Giants. I mean, not much to say about Saquon. He didn't blow up like he did last week, but still, this guy had 24 opportunities. He had nearly 100 yards from scrimmage. He doesn't get in the end zone here, but Saquon, very safe play moving forward. You feel good about the usage that he was able to handle. The only other question we're trying to figure out is the wide receivers. So once again, Richie James at the box score, five catches, 51 yards, six targets. Looks like he's like the number one receiver again. But David Sills actually played the most snaps. Only had three catches, 37 yards. Sterling Shepard, not a great stat line, but 10 targets. Clearly was number one targeted receiver. Six catches, 34 yards. And then from at least from a usage or a playing time standpoint, Darius Tony got back on the field. Kenny Galladay fell all the way down the depth chart. I believe he was wide receiver four when it came to snaps. Wide receiver five, maybe even. Kenny Galladay is no longer a, a thing. And maybe him and Darius Tony switched that in the depth chart this past week where now Tony, okay, he's starting to play a little bit more and Galladay's out of the picture. I think what we'll see over the next few weeks, as long as Tony can keep his head straight and not piss off the coaching staff, whatever's going on behind the scenes, we'll see it be Shepard and Tony moving forward as these top two guys. 
And I think Shepard has always been Daniel Jones's favorite target. He's the only receiver I'm interested in possibly having to play in full point PPR leagues in the flex. Outside of that, I'm not interested because why? Ultimately, Daniel Jones stinks just as much as Baker Mayfield, if, and frankly, if not more. I mean, I think we can have a debate about that, and I don't really want to because that's a horrible debate to have to have. Let's move into the Tampa Bay Saints game here. So, look, not much to speak of from a fantasy standpoint for anybody involved. Brady was not inside my top 12 to begin with, so hopefully you played a different option anyway. He didn't have any of his weapons. Evan gets ejected. Jones is out. Godwin's out. Gage is still trying to work his way back from the hamstring injury. It's either that or he's just not going to be as good as everybody hoped he would be within that role. Evans goes out. Prashad Berryman was the one who stepped in. Skyly Miller led the way with targets. Better days are ahead for Tom Brady. That, that's that's the number one issue I think everybody has to you know, take in consideration. When he gets these weapons back and they get themselves in games in which the offense has to do more for them to win, Tom Brady, I think, ultimately will be fine. Just might not be the top three quarterback that he was last season, but you weren't drafting him to be as such. You're drafting him to be a mid to low end QB one. That will still come to fruition once these weapons get back and everybody gets going in the second half of the season. I'm not concerned about that. Leonard Fournette, it wasn't good, but what you are happy about if you own Fournette because we're a little bit worried about the hamstring injury, did have 24 carries and four targets and two catches, dominated the playing time. So clearly from a health standpoint, they weren't really worried about him and it was a tough matchup against the Saints. So better days are ahead for Leonard Fournette. Let's switch over to the same side. Oh, and a little news here. Mike Evans is going to be suspended for one game as well. So keep that in mind here for next week. You will have to find another option outside of Mike Evans. Let's go to the Saints side now. So Alba Kamara, he misses the game with a rib injury. We'll have to stay up to date with him. Hopefully, he's able to come back next week. It doesn't sound like it's an injury they expect him to miss a lot of weeks on. But we will have to watch that throughout practice this upcoming week sounds like it's a pain tolerance issue kind of still dealing with a similar injury to that of a Justin Herbert, which is much more difficult when you're a running back, but in his absence, Mark Ingram did get the majority of the opportunities, 10 carries 60 yards was efficient. And I just want to hit on the note really like that real quick. Like Ingram only got 10 carries. And then last week, Zico Elliott only got 10 carries, but both guys over five yards of carry during that time frame. It starts to make you wonder when you look at Tampa Bay and usually, you know, you don't want to play the running back against Tampa Bay. If somebody actually gives the running back a decent amount of work, maybe Tampa Bay is not the, quite the run stout defense they were for the past couple of seasons. They do have the personnel to do it. It's not somebody I'm circling on the calendar that I want to go face, but something to kind of keep your eye on there. But we actually get a running back who's allowed to get some work here. But from a playing time standpoint, while Mark Ingram led in opportunities, Tony Jones actually played more snaps but he only got two carries for eight yards to show for it. Two targets, two catches, 12 yards. So he doesn't, he doesn't produce on the playing time. Mark Ingram, as a result, is the guy you want to own, but he's not going to dominate the, the backfield. Not that I think anybody thought he would, but just kind of a little food for thought there when it comes to Mark Ingram. Uh, we got the old Jameis Winston in this game. He had three interceptions, didn't play well. I do think that Tampa Bay secondary is here for real and is going to be kind of a pain for a lot of people taking on Tampa Bay as a quarterback and receivers people. So 
not exactly the matchup they were last year, where if you had passing weapons playing against Tampa Bay, you circled that because, well, one, it was usually going to be a shootout because the offense of Tampa Bay was rolling, and two, you could take advantage of what was a depleted secondary. They're good to go. So this is not going to be an easy matchup on paper when you go to play Tampa for a quarterback or for a wide receiver. But speaking of the wide receiver, so we said last week, I got to see it out of Jarvis Landry again before I can buy into the idea that he's the second pass catcher to a Michael Thomas. And it was, it wasn't, it was Chris Olave this time. He actually led the team 13 targets, five receptions, 80 yards. Michael Thomas did his Michael Thomas thing. You get nine targets. You got six catches. You got 65 yards and you got a touchdown. You continue to play Michael Thomas as a wide receiver too. He hasn't quite hit that wide receiver one level because we either want to see him get a few more targets or get, a few, you know, a little bit more efficient down field. Because the second week in a row where he's like hovering about like 10 yards or reception or so, you want to see get that a little bit better before he becomes a like wide receiver one. But so far has been consistent and clearly the guy they want to go to in the red zone. This game for Chris Olave or Jarvis Landry, though, like it doesn't change my opinion on them one way or another. I think they're both still wait and see players who might just be interchangeable on a game plan or week to week basis as far as which one's leading the way. Olave definitely has the higher upside. He's the younger guy. They drafted him in the first round. They wanted him. If he can take off and take over and keep putting up stat lines like this, I think he will surpass Jarvis Landry and Landry will be the guy who's the odd man left out most weeks after that. But that hasn't quite happened yet just off of this game. We're going to need more info, but Olave especially should be owned because he does have upside moving forward. How about the Jets and the Browns? How about the fact that the Jets were able to win this game and come back from behind? Absolutely unbelievable. Flacco, 300 yards and four touchdowns. Not the guy you're going to be targeting in fantasy purposes at all, but man, just to see it happen once was uh, pretty impressive, and nobody's happier than Robert Sala. So my notes here for the Jets, predominantly, hello, Garrett Wilson, and welcome to the NFL. Eight catches, 102 yards on 14 targets. He still played behind Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, but what was key here, and maybe it was due to an injury to Braxton Berrios, that part's not clear. Berrios did have a heel issue coming into this game. He played the slot. If he should, and he should overtake this, I don't understand why he wouldn't, but if he plays ahead of Berrios in the slot like he should, then as long as Joe Flacco's the quarterback, Garrett Wilson could be a nice flex play. Long-term wise, I'm not ready to jump on the Wilson bandwagon for the rest of the season right off the bat as far as like being a guy who has to be in my lineup because when they switch back to Zach Wilson, they do call plays a little bit differently. Yes, the Jets are still in game scripts where they have to come back from behind, but they do try to run the ball a bit more and take more things out of Wilson's hands. It's just a different offense when he's in there compared to when Joe Flacco's in there, which I think will affect the passing volume in general for these guys. And up until this point, the guy that we know that we have evidence for Wilson having a rapport with is Elijah Moore, who I would not be panicking on, by the way. This game just happened to be a Garrett Wilson game. He went bananas. He got the two touchdowns. Elijah Moore still had five targets. He's still going to be involved. He still played his number one receiver as far as playing time goes. Overly not concerned. And Corey Davis holding on by a thread. 66-yard touchdowns, what saves his fantasy day. It's going to be Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore when it comes to fantasy points moving forward in the season. But 
But all three guys should be involved. The question is going to be what happens when Zach Wilson gets back? How different will this offense look? Uh, Michael Carter played much further ahead of Brees Hall when it comes to snaps and in the passing game in particular. If I have five targets, Brees Hall's one. That was interesting to me, especially with how this game went. Both had seven carries. Brees Hall was much better on his seven carries, 50 yards. Michael Carter's 23. Right now, Carter's the RB3. Brees Hall is a plug and play if you have to find somebody to give you a decent floor. Because again, as long as Flacco's the guy, I think most more times than not, both will be involved in the passing game to give them both floors that you can kind of go to. But there's just not much of a ceiling at the end of the day with this team. And for whatever stupid reason, you know, Ty Johnson was out there on the field. He didn't get much in the box score, but he was out there on the field to an annoying amount. I'm not really sure why, why they were bothering with that. But it's going to be a little while before Brees Hall can realize his potential. Michael Carter will continue, of course, to get mixed in here. And again, we have to see how the offense changes as we move forward. But I do think Brees Hall will take over the majority of the work on the ground at some point this season. But it's easy to wait and see, ultimately. On the Brown side of the ball, Amari Cooper got back on track. He had nine catches for 100 yards and a touchdown, 10 targets. And I was like, look, after last week, you couldn't play him this week, even though it was against the Jets. Because you sat back and watched Donovan Peoples-Jones had 11 targets. You watched Brissett be terrible. And it wasn't like he was all that good in this game. But at least he got back to doing what he's supposed to do, which is you feed Cooper. Donovan Peoples-Jones only had one target in this game. Nothing to show for it otherwise. This is how it should break down statistically. We have another week to see what happens. But Cooper gets back into the wide receiver three status with this performance because we wanted him to be volume-based. We get back to volume-based then he's fine floor flex play to wide receiver three play. So it was good to see him get back on track, especially where you probably drafted him at. I talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. David Njoku was a bummer for me at the tight end position. He is in a committee. Harrison Bryant had four targets. Joku had five and Bryant was better on his three catches for 45 yards than the three catches for 32 yards out of David Njoku continues to split time with him in the red zone. Njoku is not the target monster at the tight end position. He's falling deeper and deeper into a back-end tight end, too, for me. Not somebody who's going to be on my streaming radar anytime soon and is a guy that you can go ahead and just drop off your lineups and stream at the tight end position like you need to. Let's move to that Washington-Detroit game. So Washington-Detroit, Detroit wins. They were favored at home, finally, and they actually pulled off the win. I was a little bit worried, though, because in true Detroit fashion, they were starting to fall apart in that second half. Washington almost came all the way back. They scored all 27 of their points in the second half to almost all the way come back. And that's the other thing with the Washington Commanders. This is the second game in a row now where first-half offense didn't look great. But when they decide that, all right, we're just going to throw it around, and get to our weapons, then all of a sudden the offense clicks. That's what they should be. That offensive line's not good enough for that team to be the balanced scheme that they probably want to be. But they have the weapons. They have Carson Wentz, who's the best quarterback they've had since Kirk Cousins. This is a team that needs to throw it around. So Wentz, of course, was great. 337 yards, three touchdowns, a pick. If you streamed him, you were incredibly happy with the performance that you got out of Carson Wentz. And Curtis... Curtis Samuel. So he kind of like Jarvis Landry for me was somebody like, I got to wait and see another week before I can buy in to the idea that Curtis Samuel is going to be, 
you know, getting just as many, if not more targets than both Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin. Well, he did it again for the second week in a row. So now, yes, I am on board that Curtis Samuel has a particular role carved out for him where he is going to be just as involved from a target standpoint and opportunity standpoint as McLaurin and Dotson. McLaurin and Dotson still play more because Curtis Samuel is only going to play on three receiver sets. But it's now the second week in a row where you've got to pay attention. He's got to be picked up. He's got to be on your rosters. And we'll be debating him about which weeks he's a flex or wide receiver three play. Seven catches, 78 yards, and a touchdown on those nine targets this week. Terry McLaurin, I liked better what we got out of him as far as his targets go. Eight targets in this game, four catches, 75 yards. Doesn't get the score in this one like he did last week, but he was top two in receivers. He's not going to be the target monster I was hoping he would be. I thought it would be clear-cut Terry McLaurin. He's number one guy getting targeted with Samuels and Dotson being a little bit more interchangeable with what they were doing, and it would depend on game flow as far as which one of those guys would have the second-best game next to Terry McLaurin on a regular basis. This is the second week in a row now where McLaurin was not the number one targeted guy. I'm not worried about him from he's starting him as a wide receiver too, but I will say the upside, the potential, it might not be realized. Like I, He's a guy that I thought had top 12 potential, and you were drafting him later, and at least would be a wide receiver too. I think he is at least that wide receiver too, but he doesn't have the potential to ever really be a wide receiver one, even though it's the best quarterback he's had because he has more guys he has to share the workload with. Dotson had pretty much an identical stat line of what he had in, in week one. Just He had one touchdown instead of two, so you like that, but five targets, four catches, 59 yards. He's out there a lot. He's still not getting as much targets as the other two guys just yet, but he is a guy who needs to be owned but he is a bit touchdown dependent at the time if you plan on starting him. So just kind of keep that in mind that I want Dotson on my team, but I want to see, you know, Curtis Samuel, he's a ticking time bomb usually to get injured or does Dotson outplay him at some point before I'm consistently putting him in my starting lineup, but definitely needs to be owned. And then Logan Thomas, he was a top 12 tight end for me. It wasn't a great stat line, three catches, 37 yards, but he finds the end zone. He was involved in this game. He gets five targets again. He was the guy I was talking about. If you want to pick up a guy who could be a top 12 tight end, potentially, he's the one it's got to be. And then, of course, my last note for Washington was the backfield. Yes, I was hoping you guys get one more big game out of Gibson. He gets the touchdown to bail you out. I still think you had the potential to sell high on him. But now the Jacksonville's out of the way. Detroit's out of the way. The schedule starts to get a little bit tougher moving forward. This is where you really needed him to shine, to really sell him high like you wanted him to. And the other part of it was now everyone's going to realize that while it didn't show up in the box score last week, the Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick role of old of the past two seasons is still very much in play here with McKissick getting seven catches on seven targets for 54 yards and continuing to play more in two-minute drill and come from behind times of the game. So... We're back to, yeah, McKissick is very much the pass catching back. And Antonio Gibson is the rundown back. And now we got to see what happens when Brian Robinson gets back into this mix. How about on the Detroit side of the ball? Amon Ross St. Brown, absolutely tremendous. Talked about him as a thumper. We don't have to go into details about him. You're playing him no matter what. But what about DeAndre Swift? So Swift, you played him. He got a touchdown for you. He got a 50-yard run. 
but he only had seven opportunity or seven touches in this game, 10 opportunities total in this game because he had the five targets. He's legit hurt. That's what that tells me. His usage tells me he's legitimately hurt with that ankle injury. He found a way to play through. He found a way to still produce, which is why you're playing Swift no matter what. But keep your eye on his injury, his practice reports, because his usage could be down low. And if he doesn't have these big plays here, could have been a really bad fantasy day. So something to kind of keep in mind of, just be vigilant on Swift. But as long as he's active, you're playing him. Jamal Williams, though, was good. 12 carries, 53 yards. Didn't light it up or anything like that. Very much a part of the game plan. Knew he'd be more involved this week with the injury to DeAndre Swift. Somebody you have to pay attention to. The thumper or the bummer we talked about earlier, TJ Hawkinson. The seven targets were there. He's still the guy. He's still a good tight end. You're not dropping him or doing anything of that nature, but the high expectations are starting to dwindle for TJ Hawkinson. Let's move into the Colts and Jacksonville. I mean, honestly, I think Frank Reich should should be a hot, should be a guy who gets fired. Like he should be somebody, at least, if not getting fired, at least should be on the hot seat. You start off the season with a tie to Houston and a loss in Jacksonville, and you can't beat Jacksonville ever, which is the whole reason why the Colts are not making the playoffs in recent years and haven't made the playoffs in recent years and haven't won the division like they should. The whole reason. Because you can't just finish off the teams you're supposed to finish off against. It's not just Jacksonville. They play down to their competition on a consistent basis. And Matt Ryan is Phillip Rivers 2.0, maybe even a lesser version of what they got out of Phillip Rivers for that one season that they had him. I know Pittman didn't play. This is still Jacksonville. He still had a game plan to be safe about it. Three interceptions, 16 of 30. Absolutely terrible. The only note I have for pass catchers is that, well, okay, in the in the absence of Michael Pittman, it was Ashton Doolin, but they also didn't have Alec Pierce on the field either. So the top three receivers were out. What is significant is I thought Paris Campbell, who did have the most routes run, did have the most snaps of the wide receivers, would have a chance here to really do something. I think the days of hoping Paris Campbell can be fantasy relevant are over. He's been playing ahead of the other guys the last two weeks, did nothing in this game, has done nothing so far. Ashton Doolin was the guy in the absence of Michael Pittman. It's time to move on from any hopes of Paris Campbell. Obviously, better days are ahead for Jonathan Taylor. You can blame Frank Reich. Naeem Hines still was a factor in the passing game. On Jacksonville's side, Christian Kirk, I told you guys, like, He's a new Darnell Mooney from last season. His volume in this team, he is never going to be forgotten about on a week-to-week basis. He's not a top elite talented type of wide receiver, but he's on a team with a high passing volume. He's featured all around the field. He's clearly head and shoulders above the other guys when it comes to overall volume. Yeah, Christian Kirk, six catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns. You're playing him no matter what. The other notes, the running backs. So James Robinson pretty much doubled up Travis Etienne as far as playing time goes. Had the 23 carries, only 64 yards, but he does fall into the end zone and then was almost just involved in the passing game. Two targets, two catches, 14 to Travis Etienne's three for three and 33. Etienne still ran more routes. What is clear here now is that now that we know Robinson is healthy, what we thought might happen has happened where their roles are clearly defined. James Robinson, early down, short yardage, goal line work. Travis Etienne gets some carries, but is mostly the main pass catcher, lightning, change of pace, running back as a result of that too. They're both RB3s. 
because we know Jacksonville will be in more game script where they have to come back from behind than usually this type of game where they're leading the entire time. And that's why Robinson got so much more work in the box score. So it's not Robinson one and then Etienne's just a handcuff. That's not the case here. Both are flex plays and it'll be game script dependent. We got to go rapid fire on the rest of these games. So bear with me here. Uh, Patriots and Steelers, really not much to talk about. The good news is with Najee Harris on the Pittsburgh side is that while it was not a great game, the volume once again saved him and he was able to handle the volume moving forward. So that's why Najee Harris still a very safe play for you guys. Just his ceiling limited by the fact that offensive line is completely and utterly terrible. Jacoby Myers, the only safe receiver for the Patriots from a volume standpoint, he had nine targets. I believe in the, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He had 13 targets in this game, nine catches, 95 yards. Yeah, Aguilar had the bigger game with the 100-yard touchdown performance, but right now, you can only go with one receiver that you're even thinking about from a fantasy standpoint, and that would be Jacoby Myers. And then my other note for the Patriots is stay away from the tight ends. Both Hunter Henry and Janu Smith had about the same amount of rounds run, same amount of playing snaps. Neither one of them did anything on the box score whatsoever. Smith had two extra targets compared to Henry. This is not last year. Mac Jones is looking to go in other directions. Damian Harris did pick up a knee injury in this game and didn't come back. It sounds like it's not overly serious, but he will be he will be seriously questionable heading into week three. With Ty Montgomery already out for the first time in a long time, the Patriots might only have one back and might actually have to use him as a workhorse. Ramondre Stevenson's value will go up, but Harris was leading the way up until that point. He had 15 carries, 71 yards on the ground, a touchdown. Stevenson was still good and efficient with his nine carries and 47 yards, but didn't really get an edge pass catching wise. We thought maybe he'd take over the time Montgomery role. That was not the case. It was a two to one series split basically between Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. But again, now the knee injury to Harris, Ramondre Stevenson looking like he's going to be a really high fantasy asset next week. And on the Steelers side, just to wrap up the two notes I had for them, Deontay Johnson is a low vol is a high volume, excuse me, low end wide receiver too. No matter what matchup they're in, he's clearly the guy. Ten targets. The second closest was Harris and Claypool at six, or I'm sorry, Freemuth at seven. Deontay is the guy. Not a big stat line again this week, but he is getting enough volume to keep him as a wide receiver too. And Pat Freemuth for the second week in a row is the second most involved pass catcher gets into the end zone here. He will be a top eight, seven tight end almost every week moving forward too. Let's get to that Falcons Rams game. So on the Falcons side of the ball, they kept this game close 27 to 31. Mariota still stream worthy. He didn't run the way we wanted him to run this week. Still had six attempts, but only 16 yards passing wise though. He was still okay. If you streamed him, he still finishes a mid-level QB two because he had the two touchdowns. He had two interceptions, but most importantly, he's proving that he's good enough to keep this Atlanta team competitive in a lot of these games, along with Arthur Smith. And I think there's going to be other games where he could crack the top 12 and still should be a streaming option because he's going to get you more on the ground. Uh, my other note for the Falcons, we talked about a little bit, Cordo Patterson. No, I did not expect Patterson to come in with 20 plus carries again this week. That's not why I had him ranked as an RB2. The reason I'm ranked as an RB2 is one, he's the best running back, which is was proven here. 10 carries for 41 yards, actually four yards to carry, where Tyler Algier only had three yards to carry with his usage. 
The problem here was that the Falcons were having to come back from behind and they weren't using Patterson in the passing game. That was what was weird. One target in this game. Last week, he had five in a game which he had 22 carries. So that will get rectified. Patterson played almost double the amount of snaps of Tyler Algier, had more than double the amounts of routes run compared to the other running backs. I think better days are ahead for Patterson, but just keep in mind, he is what he is. He's a guy that you want 10 to 12 carries out of. He's a guy you want about five targets a game out of to get 15 and 17 opportunities to be an RB2. So let's not get swept up by being super disappointed because of what happened last week to this week as a result. And then I have concern about Pitts. It's hard not to be at least concerned about Pitts. No, I'm not dropping him. No, I'm not benching him at the tight end position. But it is concerning that for the second week in a row, because of Drake London, Kyle Pitts gets completely left out of the game plan. There should be enough room for both of these guys to eat. It hasn't been the case. And once again, Pitts putting up a dud performance. Better weeks are ahead, but I am a little bit concerned if his usage does not get better. On the Rams side, of course, the number one note has to be Cam Akers and Darrell Henderson. Cam Akers actually outtouches Henderson. Wasn't really great, obviously, on his touches. Only 2.9 yards per carry. And Henderson's the one who winds up getting the touchdown. But he had to breathe a big sigh of relief when Akers got the work that he did in this game. So at least now, we can look at both of these guys as RB3s. And it depends on exactly how the game script is going to go. Akers played more on short yardage early down work. Henderson was more of the pass catching back in this game as far as when they played. But both these guys are RB3s, and it's going to probably just kind of come down to matchup and who gets the touchdown that game. So it's going to be a bit back and forth here, but you can breathe a sigh of relief. Cam Akers back involved with the offense. Cooper Cup is great, and really not much more to say about that. Quite frankly, Stafford was better in this game. Here's what I will say. Robinson, again, not in the top two pass catchers. Tyler Higby was, had nine targets. Robinson gets the touchdown, so he has a decent game, but only five targets, four catches, 53 yards. Unless McVay comes out and says, we are going to game plan to get Robinson involved, I worry a little bit about how consistent his usage can actually be. Let's dive into that Cardinals-Raiders game with the Cardinals came back from behind and won their game in overtime off of a defensive play, a defensive touchdown. So Kyler Murray, once again, was not looking good, which is really concerning against a Raiders defense. Pulls it together, gets the rushing touchdown. That's why, from a fantasy standpoint, he always has a high floor. James Conner gets nicked up in this game, and instead of it being Eno Benjamin, which we thought it might be because he was playing ahead of Darrell Williams in week one and had hype coming out of the preseason, they went back to Darrell Williams, and it wound up being a pretty even split, which tells me while we watch Connor this week to see if he's going to be able to make the game or not, it does tell me this is going to be a two-way, a two-way committee filling in for Connor, not necessarily you know Benjamin being the high-end handcuff and not necessarily Darrell Williams. If you want to figure out which one of the two to play, I want the guy getting the goal line work. For this game, that was Darrell Williams. So Williams goes from somebody who was third on the depth chart to possibly being the more preferred fantasy back, depending on what's going on with James Conner this week. And we'll talk about more about that in the waiver wire report. Zach Ertz was good, back healthy, gets his volume of what you're looking for. And while Marquise Brown didn't have a great stat line, 11 targets, six catches, 68 yards, you're not going to complain about that. And also last note, Greg Dorch, he gets a touchdown this game. As long as Rondell Moore continues to miss, he is a flex-worthy play in full-point PPR leagues only. 
On the Raiders side, Josh Jacobs is the only running back I care about. I don't care about anybody else. Hunter Renfro, he gets back involved, right? 10 targets, 7 catches, 59 yards. But it's a game in which Devontae Adams goes from 17 targets to 6. Waller still got his. And I just feel like this 7-catch, 59-yard stat line is kind of the ceiling for Hunter Renfro. Matt Collins got involved in this game. And between Matt Collins, Devontae Adams, and Darren Waller, you got three guys who are just more suited for red zone opportunities. Renfro, who's not a big volume or a big touchdown guy and not a big play guy. And if he gets 10 targets, it's about as best he can hope for with all these guys healthy. It just continues to be a guy who's going to get left out and be more of a wide receiver four for me than anything else on a weekend, week out basis. Better days are ahead for Devontae Adams. Josh Jacobs is the only running back to care about for the Raiders. Wasn't great here, but it's establishing himself as an RB2 with the usage that he is having. Let's dive into Cincinnati Bengals and the Dallas Cowboys. How long can Joe Burrow hold up if he continues to get sacked like this? Zach Taylor and that offensive line are doing him no favors. They need to start doing a better job of finding a way to protect him. Joe Mixon, for the second week in a row, is the workhorse back. He's looking like he's going to be a top five running back because he's getting all the passing work of what we were concerned about before. Week one, he got it. Week two, he confirms it. And Higgins has a nice game here with production here, coming back off the concussion injury. Six catches, 71 yards, a touchdown. Yeah, Jamar Chase wasn't great. The offense in general wasn't great, but those two guys led the way, and it was good to see Higgins back and healthy and able to produce for you. You're playing everybody involved there. On the Cowboys' side of the ball, Cooper Rush proved that he is good enough to get it done. CeeDee Lamb had 11 targets again, but this time, seven catches and 75 yards. Plus, you know, the Cowboys actually won the game, so that's a big note, too. Uh, The Schultz injury is something we have to watch. So you might have to go back to the drawing board streaming at tight end. From what I understand, it's nothing major, but it could still cost them a week or two. We'll keep you up to date at Billy Up MDFF show. Both Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard were involved. Elliott got more usage, but Pollard, the more effective, the more explosive back, gets the touchdown in this game and was really worked in in the passing game. I thought the Cowboys would lean more on the running backs. They did. Both Pollard and Zeke will be RB3 or higher plays for me as long as Cooper Rush is the quarterback because they will have to lean on them. So Pollard in particular, because Elliott's usage was we knew we could at least count on the volume there that he'll be involved in the game plan. We do need him to start scoring, but Pollard, getting back to the point of we can go back to looking at you as a flex play option that we can plug him to play into our lives who does have big play upside. Let's move into our next game, the Houston Texans. And the Denver Broncos, the Broncos got to they got to figure something out. It's two weeks in a row now they scored 16 points. This time it was good enough for them to win, but that's not what you want to count on. Wilson and Hackett, they need to get the back to back back to the drawing board now. These are two inferior opponents in which you completely struggled offensively. And then the other note for Denver is the Jerry Judy injury. Cortland Sutton was great. Seven catches, 122 yards, and 11 targets it was absolutely awesome. But a lot of that comes with Judy getting hurt early on in this game. We have to wait and see. He was he ruled out right away. It's a shoulder injury. It doesn't sound like it's going to be anything too serious, but he will be questionable throughout the week. And Javante Williams is fine. Melvin Gordon, they still assume their roles. Javante is still an RB2 with RB1 upside. Melvin Gordon still a flex-worthy consideration who belongs on your teams. Nothing changes really there. On the Houston side of the ball, Damian Pierce was the guy and pretty much the only guy. But again, I want to point this out. 
Rex Burkhead still outworked him in passing situations, even only showed up for two catches for nine yards. Houston surprisingly has had two neutral game scripts the past two weeks. And in this game, remember, they are leading all the way until the fourth quarter. I don't expect that to be the norm unless everyone just starts playing down to them constantly. So I'm not really thrilled about Damian Pierce does not make me confident in playing him moving forward. And our last game, or no, that, that actually caps off our last game for today's show. So sorry, we had to go a little bit rapid fire there towards the end. We're running out of time. Guys, make sure you tune back in on Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. We're going to have the primetime recap game. We're going to have the uh, heroes and zeros. We're going to have the waiver saviors. So all of that coming up and more in tomorrow night's episode. Subscribe to us on social media at MDFF Show, And of course, on our YouTube channel. Hit us up on, our, on your favorite podcast app. And we will see you guys then. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.